DiscerningHearts.com presents St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. Father Haggerty is a priest of the Archdiocese of New York who serves at St. Patrick's Cathedral. He taught moral theology and worked as a spiritual director in seminaries for 20 years. He has directed numerous yearly retreats for the missionaries of charity. He's the author of Contemplative Provocations, The Contemplative Hunger, Conversion, Contemplative Enigmas, and St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, the book on which this series is based. St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. It can be very confusing, Father Haggerty, that there is, say, someone who has had a, a wonderful devotion to the rosary, and they are praying in a way in which each mystery, they receive it in their mind, in their heart. They actively participate in what's happening in the prayer and offering it up. But then there comes that moment where something changes, And it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but something affects them in a way that can be kind of a puzzlement. And I'm not necessarily speaking of the discouragement of the enemy to stop you from the practice, but it's more of a, I don't experience this like I used to. There's something different, something's changing. Does that seem like a, a real experience that some may have? Well, certainly the um, the rosary would be a good example. You know, any type of meditative prayer and, you know, the rosary as we're taught it, you know, can be done as a meditation on each of the mysteries of the rosary. And it can be that as we're growing in prayer that, there can be a certain simplifying of the prayer that we're not actually choosing, but it's happening to us so that it depends on days. And sometimes we may be able to do something a little more vividly as we pray the rosary, but we may find as the years go on, if we're very you know committed in prayer and we're taking up silent prayer in our lives, that the rosary itself becomes more simple, not because we're choosing to make it simple, but the intellect itself is becoming more simple, more childlike in a way as it prays the rosary. So the words, for instance, said to Mary may hold our attention more than, you know, a picturing in some manner Mary at the Annunciation. The fiat of Mary, you know, let it be done to me according to your word. It might be that little phrase, let it be done, you know, becomes more of a a steady, you know, fixed, you know, notion there when we're praying the rosary. But I, I think it's it's consistent with what happens when people are becoming holy. They become more simple, you know, not simple intellectually necessarily, but they their their simplicity becomes more real in in life. They don't have so many things that they're looking for because they have found the one thing needful. And that affects probably everything. So praying the rosary becomes a more simple act, but more full of love. Yeah, the love of the blind man in the Gospels for St. John, you bring forward, that 
image, that importance. The chapter is entitled Contemplative Face, Certitude, and Darkness. We almost desire to have that type of trust that the blind have. That makes sense, but I think we also would, would say, too, um, well, I would love to have a vision of, of Jesus' face. You know, I would like to see, I would like to hear him, and I would like to see. And what John of the Cross is saying, you know, you know, expanding on the, on the earlier comments on, you know, faith brings certitude to the intellect, but not clarity, it brings darkness. And he, he does love this image of the blind man being led, you know, and necessarily must be led to walk forward into the mystery of God. I mean, he has a great phrase that I've often quoted to the missionaries of charity and giving retreats to them when he says, faith and love are like a blind man's guides. They will lead you down a path unknown to you to a place where God is hidden. It's a really a beautiful image. You know, you can imagine a blind man with two people on either el- elbow, you know, leading him down the street. Faith and love leading a blind man down a path unknown to you. We don't see. We know we're moving in a certain direction toward God, but we don't know. We don't have a, a, a road map for it. And leading you down a path unknown to you to the place where God is hidden. And for missionaries of charity, it's a great phrase because they are meant to go from that silence of prayer and the mass in the morning to walk out into an apostolate where they're going into the streets or into these large works where they take care of so many you know, of the poorest of the poor in, in their homes or their large works in, in Africa or in India, and they're walking out into a place where God is hiding in the poorest of the poor. And we don't see, but we can know, you know, that real reality. It's why I've written this in, in the earlier books on, you know, that have contemplative themes, but I think the contemplative life and the life of with the poor is a very complementary reality. That contemplative life, that that contemplative graces in prayer, that must engage a certain darkness in prayer. We get blinded by getting up more close to God. That that's very much um, complemented by that it's supported by. If we go out and have a greater sense of vision of seeing Jesus in the poor, and that doesn't mean necessarily the homeless on the street the real poverty that can be present in people, even in our own families. And the reality of Jesus in disguise, as he said in the gospel, wherever there is someone hungry, thirsting, imprisoned, and sometimes those are metaphors for the spiritual state of people. So the, the blindness that we walk out toward, and yet we're walking toward the reality of God always in that blindness. That wonderful section that you brought forward from the Ascent of Mount Carmel, again, we're talking about in that book of John of the Cross, that that book two, that is so extraordinary. It talks about how the sun so obscures all lights that they do not seem to be lights at all when it is shining, and instead of 
affording vision to the eyes that overwhelms, that blinds, that deprives them of a vision since its light is excessive and unproportioned to the visual faculty. It helped me in understanding what maybe what Mother Teresa, and again, I'm, I'm not in the league of those master spiritual directors that knew her so well and how you know her, but it seems as though they speak of her dark night, but it's because the sun was shining so brightly for her, and even in the distressing disguise of the poor, that the other lights that had guided her before are obscured. And that this light is so bright that it can blind us, but in a different way. Would you say that's fair, or, or am I really off target there? No, that's correct. And the, you know, it's it's and it's not just that um, the metaphor, you know, of if we go outside in the summer and we look up at the sun, you know, we're blinded by the sun, which is what does happen. Uh, the power of the sun in its radiant, you know, rays, you know, almost hurting our eyes. But it's more the, perhaps, the idea that if we walked closer to a very bright light, that could blind us, you know, even more. We, we, we could see the room better if we were, you know, a bit of a distance from that very bright light. And... The reality of God is that when these souls, and surely it's true in every one of these saints, as they got closer to God in greater union with him, he became both more personal, but also more of a mystery, that his infinite mystery expands in the sense of the soul then. And they can be left, um, I'm sure, depends on how God approaches that particular person, but they can be overwhelmed by the, the power of his mystery. And, you know, it's uh, another image that is used in that sometimes. If we, if we see a mountain in the distance, you know, it can be very beautiful. And if it's not in too far a distance, it's even more beautiful. But if you get to the very foot of that mountain, you know, you're right there by the mountain. You can't see the mountain now at all. All you see is the, you know, large, you know, uh, the trees and everything right in front of you. But you really don't, you don't see the mountain now. And yet you're much closer than you were when you were viewing it from a distance. And there's something of that surely in the spiritual life that if we get closer to God, his mystery becomes much more a, you know, a vital reality in our life. And, you know, mysteriously too, though, that God has his way then of still showing personal presence in providential ways in our life. And, you know, it doesn't just become that we're overshadowed by a cloud then, but that he has his way of stepping into quiet moments of our life and showing how real he is. I think that, you know, as you were describing the experience of the missionaries of charity with, uh, again, uh, the poor, we also see that in the life. Of, I, I just think of those saints who, um, John Abaretamala, for example, as a mother, and the great love and desire to serve, even so much to the point of her death. In you know bringing a child to term 
And, you know, I, I think we see that every every day. You know, it's the Zelie and Louis Martins who, you know, as a married couple who just, they serve each other in that love, and that's where God can be very present. And I know, I, I think I've missed out at some opportunities in my own life where I was try, striving to find him in, in other things and other intellectual pursuits and all, and which in itself is not always not necessarily a bad thing, but I was missing his presence and in that communication within the heart of the, the, the family that I had been placed in, I've been gifted with. Indeed. And you remind me when I, when you sang that too, it's, it's a reality of love that it will always stretch us out of ourselves, you know, beyond ourselves. That that's authentic love that we love something beyond ourselves, And, and that's an important thing, and even though we we know that and we all have experience of it, you know we get we, we have to get caught up in a love beyond us. But it's an important point to realize that because the life of interior prayer, if we take up silent interior prayer in some committed way, the problem, you know, so to speak, in that is that we're alone without anyone but ourself there. And the effort of prayer, you know, has to be careful too that that same principle is, is at work, that we only grow in love when we're stretching beyond ourselves, you know, beyond our own solitude, our own solitary hour there, and we're stretching toward someone, you know, toward him. And which is why also it can be good in prayer. You know, it's not strictly contemplative prayer, but to have charity in our prayer, which means, you know, to, to make sure that every day we're having, we're praying for others, especially others that are not simply, you know, part of our own life. Of course, pray for our families and pray for your husband, your children. We pray for those who are close to us. But to have charity in our prayer where we're praying for the dying, for instance, who are in need of grace on that day, who will die on that day, and they are in need of grace for their salvation. You know, to have prayer like that every day, something of a life of charity that stretches us beyond ourselves for the sake of others. And intentions, you know, perhaps women who might be thinking of an abortion, who plan an abortion, who need a grace, you know, to, you know, backtrack from that decision on this day. Or, you know, somebody who tempted to a violent act or, you know, a grave sin or intentions that, you know, stretch us beyond ourselves. And that way where, you, you know, prayer is in its proper dynamic of growing in love for our Lord and also then, you know, for that fruitfulness is extended to others through our prayer. We'll return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation with Father Donald Haggerty in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app 
in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming, Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. It is telling that St. John, and as you try to, you're stripping his writings back so that we can understand it in the context of our own lives, that he essentially warns us about, this is my words now, a selfish wanting or a taking. I want to have this. And so I use methods or I use, I'm going to try to manipulate the experience. And I know that sounds very, very harsh because I think most people have a a desire to want to grow in this union, but it can be a, a, a real trap, can it, to try to manipulate our prayer. That's kind of a big thing. As far as a statement, I'm, and the way I'm phrasing this question, Father Haggerty, but that can be a big danger, can it? Well, Chris, the the difficulty of you know solitary prayer, you know, for all of us is that the the danger could be that we make it a a self oriented you know quest, you know, so the, the desire for experiences, and I think that's a that's a key phrase, you know, if we desire experiences in prayer um, we may get what we want you know experiences but it may not be experiences of God we may have our own uh, way sometimes even to find these experiences that will um, satisfy us or give us a, a more exalted sense of our relation with God or you know, be once again, you know, confirming that we are on the way to God. Or, and I think, though, I think that's what you're, you're um, alluding to here and very appropriately, that the, the life of prayer is going to match naturally. It's going to match what the gospel says. So if we grow in prayer, if we grow in prayer, we're growing in union with God. They go together. And that will mean, as the gospel says, we are losing ourselves more and entering more into him. You know, John, St. John of the Baptist has perhaps, you know, the best line in the gospel other than words of Jesus or Mary when he says, he must increase, I must decrease. But that also means in prayer, I must decrease in my, you know, my attention to myself or what I'm receiving or what I would like to get in prayer, you know, whether it be feeling, you know, very close to God or, and to allow prayer to be in a sense handed over to God also that 
adoring him, you know, loving him perhaps without a feeling of this. An act of love can be a very profound act while with feeling nothing. You know, an adoration of him, I adore you as my Lord and my God. I belong all to you. Everything in my life belongs to you. That could be done in a state of great shadow and darkness in our mind at that moment. And those acts are, you know, and that type of prayer where we're not looking in a kind of self-absorbed way for um, a deeper confirmation that God really does love me or that I'm growing, you know, advancing as I want to, that we have to let that go and, and place ourselves in the hands of God and then go out of prayer and try to live, you know, to please him, to give a gift of ourself in the, you know, thousand ways that are possible in a day for God. Mm. Again, just to go back, because I think for some, it can be confusing. Well, on two different natures, there's a, a very real activity that can take place in our desire to get to know the Lord more closely. So, for example, an Ignatian exercise of contemplating in the way he uses the term or to meditate on a aspect of the Gospels and placing ourselves there. And all those things, that, I mean, that's a wonderful thing to enter into in prayer. What St. John is speaking of is something a bit different so that when you're in those activities in your prayer, the Lord somehow is taking you down a different path to be open to that. I mean, there's always a, a desire to be, to have a freedom to let go of what your intention is and allow his intention to supersede. And again, you know, what we said before, you know, John of the Cross is, in a good part of his writings, he is, he is looking to help, to aid, you know, to instruct souls that would be crossing this threshold into contemplative graces. And, you know, there, there's value, of course, in, in seeking insight, you know, in reading and doing, you know, spiritual reading or Lexio Divina, slow reading of scripture or a good spiritual writing. These things have value, but the, um, what John of the Cross is, is, is getting at, you know, in this, and it's just a very sound, you know, truth that, and other spiritual writers say this, they say this also, it's one thing to think about God, you know, to meditate in a manner that gives you knowledge about God, that gives us knowledge about the scripture, that we come to know about Jesus, you know, as we look at the gospel and meditate on it. It's another thing, you know, it's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know him, to come to him very personally, to be in his presence in a very real way. And to be in his presence in a very real way might be a very silent moment, you know, with no visual accompaniment to that. And that's really what we, what we want in, in prayer as it goes on in life, that we're coming back again and again, day after day, and seeking not to possessively, you know, hold him or capture him in some manner, that I can bring that back again to another, you know, 
recovered experience of him the next day, but rather to go forth again and again in prayer, you know, we're seeking him, not something about him, but, but him very personally. And that, you know, depends also on his side of the exchange that's taking place. And he's there, he is with us, he is the other, very present within our soul as we pray. But sometimes that can be a very silent, you know, time of communication that seems, you know, very much uncommunicative, you know, perhaps at times. I think it bears repeating, and you speak of this in the book, in that section on contemplative faith, certitude, and darkness. It it sums up much of what we have been talking about. You say, there must be a refusal to practice prayer as though just following customary routines, locked in place, looking to satisfy ourselves in ways that have become familiar and mildly rewarding. Our motivation should not be to recover satisfying experiences of God if on any day we are consoled. Above all, perhaps we should not go to prayer with the illusion of proficiency, but also God's unpredictability must direct the soul on the path of prayer, which in effect makes prayer quite new on each day. I think that's really important, Father Haggerty. I mean, that's, but it takes us a while to get there, don't you think? Well, definitely it takes, takes, uh, like anything, you know, we have to plunge into, you know, something that we may not be so comfortable with. And that, that is the life of prayer also. I mean, the great tests of prayer in one way is to get started, you know, to be serious about giving some silent time, you know, some, some legitimate silent time. I mean, that can't be two minutes. That has to be, you know, let's say 20 minutes of silence gets us started if we do that daily with God. But there is a long walk in this and, you know, a lifetime then of staying with him in prayer and seeking him. And we have relationship in many different ways over the course of days, you know, in any one day with God. But to give silent time of prayer, you know, the great goal of St. John of the Cross is to try to meet and strive for real union with the real reality of God. And this is an infinite being of love. And, you know, that could be a a very abstract phrase, or it can be a, a, a true reality, an infinite being of love that where we really are just nothing before him in terms of the reality of of our small love meeting this infinite love in prayer, the infinite personal love of God in prayer. And that kind of personal, you know, exchange or encounter with him, you know, is part of that effort of of a great journey in prayer over over a lifetime. What you just said, I mean, even if it's just 20 minutes, maybe just even starting out, it's smaller. Don't forget there's 24 hours in a day. And there's, it doesn't mean that you that participating in a scripture study or taking time out to do Lexio or doing other types of things, it doesn't mean that, that that conversation and that learning and getting to know and resting with the reality of God, but then also to allow space for that deeper presence. Am I hearing that? in in possible counsel for others, Father Haggerty? 
Well, surely St. John of the Cross will say, um, I'm sure that he will say that, you know, yes, not living now in the 1500s, silence might be, you know, more difficult in our lives. It's true that there are more distractions, you know, for silence. And it's not just the, the silence of having no radio or music on or no conversation, but the silence of private activity. If we're too much you know, tied into the smartphone or checking things all the time. If we, if we live that kind of, in a way, perpetual distraction, it will be hard, if not impossible, to have any greater depth of prayer. You know, we'll have our faith and we can live a life with God. But I'm a firm believer, and it's why this kind of book has now been written also. I think that there is a strong desire among people, not, you know, the great majority at all, but there's a very strong segment of people out there who want and have tasted something of this desire for God. And if they have that taste and they have that desire, that flame is there. For that flame to become more of a fire, you have to give some silence to God then in a day. And there has to be a quieting down, you know, in one's habits, perhaps. You could be a very active person. Mother Teresa was a very active person. But you have to have silent, you know, segments of a day also. And 20 minutes, you know, like you said, it's a long day. If we think of all the things we do in a day, you know, 20 minutes, a half hour. And then once we get a taste, we probably will find then there is possibility of, of more time, you know, for God in silence and prayer. Yeah, and what that looks like, we could go on in perpetuity here on in this particular conversation to describe how that may look. But uh, in a very practical way, I mean, we're not speaking of, as we alluded to, certain techniques or methods. The term so many people have heard is a centering prayer, for example, that for some, it's a forced emptying of ourselves. That's something that we do. Uh, we're talking more of of a resting, aren't we, uh, Father Haggerty? It's a it's a different paradigm of heart. Am I correct in that? Well, that would be correct. And also, you know, again, John of the Cross is going to um, speak of certain conduct in prayer. You know, when we have crossed this threshold, you know, of contemplative grace, and he would be, you know, strongly advising not to you know, simply rest or be passive in some manner in prayer until those graces are present. And he's, he's very insistent on that. And another, you know, discussion will we'll, uh, speak of, of this, but, you know, the reality of contemplative graces are dependent, they're conditioned by, you know, how we are actually living in, re- in engagement with the will of God. So if we really are striving not a saint, you know, we're not a saint and we're not at high levels of holiness. But if we're striving to live in union with the will of God, that if we are, you know, in a state of grace and for and we're not committing, you know, serious mortal sin and we're not indulging, you know, frivolously in, um, in venial sin and we're not just giving indulgently to those things, then grace is going to deepen in our love for God. And 
you know, the will is going to be drawn more fully, more, more closely to God's own will. That begins then to affect the life of prayer. And it's when a person has lived in a certain manner, you know, in closeness with God, then, and if at the same time they're living a life of some silent commitment in prayer daily, then prayer begins to change. So there can be aspects of a, a certain change of conduct in prayer, you know, after a certain point. The problem with, you know, maybe another discussion, but the problem with centering prayer and some of these other method or technique aspects of prayer is they may not be accompanied by these other necessities for growth in prayer. So it's possible to experience some of the, the effects that a method of prayer can produce, such as tranquility in one's feelings or one's mind or an emptying of one's thoughts. You can experience those by means of a method, and it may not be accompanied or translated also outside into a reduction of very deliberate venial sins or, you know, selfishness in one's life that's still indulged. And that that's a problem today of approaching prayer sometimes as a incorporate a method into my prayer, experience certain interior effects, and then assume that those are a clear confirmation of closeness to God. And actually, the real question of, of whether our prayer is authentic is going to be seen outside of prayer time. Are we being led to more generous, you know, life, more charity, you know, less indulgent, you know, venial sin, and, you know, giving of ourselves humbly, you know, more, less self-absorption. These are the real signs of, of prayer. Mm. Sounds like the fruits of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. I wish we had more time, Father Haggerty, but that's the, the beauty of not only the book, but your your gracious gift of yourself here in, in leading us. But in closing this particular conversation, any final thoughts? Well, Chris, I thank you for your very deep questions and challenging questions. And, and, I, and I do hope that, you know, as a result of what we're doing here, that people are attracted to, to prayer. And, you know, sometimes it's like, I guess, you know, some, something of an analogy, if a wife, a wife did not know, you know, really what baseball or, or I'm not sure about football, but football or baseball or basketball was. And then, you know, her husband started taking her to games and explaining the game. She might become very fascinated, which does happen. You know, my mother became a great baseball fan because my father, and the and knew some of the intricacies of the game because of it. And I think there is a parallel like that in prayer, that once we begin to hear about prayer, if you read a book like this on, on St. John of the Cross, you may not understand everything at first, but I think it grows on us and it may lead to then this desire for much deeper relations with God and if that happens, everything else in life, in a person's life, is going to be affected by that. If we grow in prayer, if we discover prayer, everything is going to be touched in our life in a deeper manner. And fruits come from that life of deeper prayer always in a life. That's a, an inevitable reality of prayer. You make me want to stop and pray right now. Yeah. Just because... It's a good idea, Chris. Very good. 
I think I might be the same. So thank you. You've been listening to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. This series is based on the book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, published by Ignatius Press. Visit ignatius.com to obtain a copy, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com And join us next time for St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty.